0: and closing theme is by Midnight Syndicate. For more dark, instrumental music like it, visit www.midnightsyndicate.com or find them on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or Alexa. Welcome back to Freshly Brewed Noir. I'm Summer. And I'm Jennifer. And this is episode 10, Michael Madison. Oh, yes. Milestone. Made we have
1: it. made it. Made it to double digits. I remember when we first started this, I was like, Summer, What's going to happen when we have 10 episodes? And we were like, when will that be? (laughs) And it's today. It's today. (laughs) It's a good day. It is. Yes. So as
0: we said before, we're we're covering a serial killer. Another one. And he killed a lot more people than Israel Keys did, right?
1: No, he He actually only killed
0: three people that
1: we know of. Oh. Yes. Okay. Don't worry. I'll give you the deets.
0: Give me the deeds. You
1: know, we hope that you've been well and like enjoying the lighter episodes that we have given you. Like axe you... murders? <laughs> well, and the, well, the haunting was lighter, kind
0: of. Kind of, yes. But before that. Israel yeah, Keys? Heaven's Gate? <laughs> <Before> <laughs> yeah. the... Oh, Heaven's Gate was lighter. It was a little lighter. It's still mass suicide. Well, yeah. Yeah. True crime. But these are... <laughs> junkies understand lighter episodes versus heavy ones. Yes.
1: If you guys like the lighter ones, let us know. If you want more heavy stuff, let us know too. Yeah. So like I said, we're covering a serial killer and one that's not so known. We want to bring attention to more of the lesser known and obscure cases. I'm all for it. Totally. This will be another heavy one. So just be prepared for some trigger warnings, which will include murder, rape, child abuse, and kidnapping. Michael Madison was born on October 15th, 1977 to Diane Madison and John Baldwin in East Cleveland, Ohio. It was an accidental pregnancy and Baldwin denied that he was the father of Michael, so he was not a part of his life. His mother, Diane, also grew up in a single parent family and she witnessed her mom turn to drugs and prostitution, leaving her with a distorted view of parenting. So that's got to be like a childhood to have, and then to bring that into your new family. I feel sorry for kid, Michael, for sure. We'll see why, because he does have a rough childhood. She had another son, Grant, who would be Michael's half-brother. Michael had a very isolating childhood. He wasn't allowed to play with other kids and wasn't able to celebrate holidays and birthdays. He'd be exposed to the multiple men that his mom would bring home. And unfortunately, they would uh, take it upon themselves to discipline him. Aww. That's
0: just... its terrible.
1: So he had a really rough childhood. Yeah. When Michael was two, his mom forced food in his mouth and he reflexively threw it up. Because of this, his mom punished him by putting him in a tub of scalding hot water. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And when he screamed, she would beat him with an extension cord. What?! Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, obviously that's child abuse. Yes. You know, I've,
0: I've been beaten as a kid. I think majority of us have. Oh yeah. Right? I mean, I was a child of the eighties, you know, so of course we got the belt. Yeah. I know, <laughs> things, I know things are a little different now. It's different now. Yeah.
1: But when it gets to that that's point. Extreme. I think that's extreme.
0: Yes. I was, I was never abused like that. No. Right. That's definitely abuse.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Poor kid.
1: Eventually, the Department of Child and Family Services would come to know of this, and they'd note that he had a large bruise and injury on his forehead. One of Diane's boyfriends would also beat Michael so badly that he had to be hospitalized, and he'd suffer hearing loss in one ear. So imagine how badly you have to be beaten to lose hearing. Right. Oh,
0: that poor kid.
1: Defax finally took Michael away after finding swelling, abrasions, and bruises on his genitals. Oh no. Yeah. Was he being sexually abused too? It doesn't say that he was ever sexually abused and Michael does not ever say that he was. I think he definitely blocked out a
0: lot of that stuff. Probably, yeah.
1: He was placed with his grandmother until Diane received counseling and was eventually returned to her care. But remember, you know, his grandmother was also into kind of the same lifestyle. I think she was better at that point, but I don't know if it was much better. He would continue to be neglected as social services would note that he'd still have bruises and scratches on his body, and he'd be badly dehydrated. Michael had little recollection of the early abuse, which... He probably blocked it out, a lot of it. Right. I mean, traumatizing stuff, you kind of dissociate. Yeah. Other than being trapped in a long room with one of his mother's boyfriends, he never recalled the extent of the abuse, but psychological experts believe the helplessness and lack of nurturing relationships with adults did lead him to develop an alternate world in his mind where he could take control of his life. That disassociation with his childhood abuse fueled hatred towards women. I bet. As we can assume, these events in his childhood led to what caused his immense hatred for women. He would tell one of his girlfriends that he hated the female species and at 16, he'd leave his mom's house and sleep anywhere else that he could. He'd stay with his uncle in Pennsylvania, and they'd share the same sexual partners. What? Yeah, that's a strange family dynamic.
0: Okay. That's a little too much sharing. (laughs) Right.
1: It's interesting, because you would think that his hatred would be, like, towards men since...
0: Kind of men are the ones that are also beating him, too. But, but your mom's supposed to protect you. I can see why he hated women. Yeah. that's. T- I mean, I just feel like women, not to give men a break, but women are held to this higher standard because... They're supposed to be nurturing. Yeah, and right. Protecting. And... Yeah, and you give birth to this human, and you're supposed to take care of it. Exactly. Take care of that little person and protect it.
1: So he felt, he probably felt like he was never safe, never protected. Because he wasn't. Exactly. When he was 17, he was charged for inappropriately touching a classmate and received probation. When he was 20, he was sent to jail for drug charges. In East Cleveland, Ohio, October 2001, he dragged a woman behind a house and and attempted to rape her.
0: So now he's old enough to know not to do this stuff. And he's starting to... do the same awful things. Yes. He becomes very like
1: impulsive and explosive with his behavior. So, and he he tends to not care, does what he wants. Hmm. And it's Do you think it was
0: the whole nature versus nurture thing? Do you think if he had been raised by a mother who actually cared about him, didn't abuse him, do you think he would have still turned out this way?
1: I really don't know. I think maybe he wouldn't have had that hatred for women, but you really don't know like how
0: people will turn out and if he was born with empathy or not because the major thing for serial killers is they lack empathy
1: right and we'll kind of get into how he feels about things (laughs) later on so luckily authorities arrived quickly and scared him away he would plead guilty to attempted rape and was sentenced to four years in prison he underwent treatment for sex offenders before he was released, and he would return to East Cleveland and would register his mom's address in the sex offender registry instead of his own, and he'd also sell drugs during this time to make money. What do you think about, like, sex offender treatment? Do you think that they can be... Legal? Rehabilitated?
0: I don't know. I Like, as far as child molesters or rapists? Yeah, I mean, Both. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I feel like it's such a, it's like a craving
0: almost. Yeah. And I don't know
1: if you can let go of something like that. Like once.
0: And don't the treatments oftentimes not work? Yes. So. I mean, clearly. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know how much I believe in those treatments working on people. Yeah. I don't think have, I do either. Yeah. I mean, or, you know, sex offenders aren't going down. So. No.
1: And typically I have seen when someone is a sex offender, they typically do reoffend.
0: Right. Just even after treatment.
1: I don't know about even after treatment. Maybe if they're like forced to go to treatment and they have to do it. Right. But I, I still don't know if it changes anything. Yeah. Maybe they just do it because
0: they're required to for in the court. Right.
1: Exactly. So Michael dated a woman, Brittany Darby, and they moved together in September of 2012. During this time, he told Brittany that he wanted to have an open relationship and would start dating another woman named Shantae Mahone. He'd also continued to have relations with other women open relationship. I don't know. We're
0: we're watching something about that right now on TV. It's women who kill or why Why, women, why
1: women kill. It's on Paramount plus.
0: Yeah. It's good. Oh, we're hooked. Yeah. But that's a tangent. (laughs) So
1: (laughs) within the next couple of years, there would be missing persons in the area while he was in this home who would come to know of Michael Madison. In September of 2012, Shatisha Sheely, 28, went missing. Shatisha was a mother to her 12-year-old daughter and was very close with her brother, Dontell and her mother, Kim. She called her mom to let her know that she was stopping by to borrow some money. However, she wouldn't show up. Her family was concerned when she didn't show up, but they didn't assume the worst had happened. They assumed maybe something came up.
0: Yeah. Of course, you and I would always assume the worst. Yes, we do. (laughs) Why haven't I heard from you in, like, days, months? It's not that the battery's low. She's murdered somewhere. Let's
1: go find her. (laughs) In December 2012, her brother was shot and killed in a home invasion, and the family grew even more concerned when Shatisha didn't show up to the funeral. I mean, obviously, that's like a... Something's up. She would definitely have showed up to her. And
0: she'd been missing for how long now? She went missing in September. Oh, wow. And
1: he was killed in December. Okay. And didn't show up to the funeral. Her mother did file a missing persons report after this, but didn't receive any help locating her daughter. And we see this so many times when people like file missing persons reports and they're just not taken seriously and they have Mm -hmm. to wait a certain amount of time or they just don't get the help that they need or the resources. So, you know, it sucks. It sucks. Yeah, for her family. Right. Among the women Madison entertained that fall was Shatisha Sheely. They met through a friend... One October night, Madison caught her rummaging around in his clothing drawers. He asked her what she was doing, and he did not like her reply. Madison grabbed her by the neck and cornered her in the bedroom, holding her throat until she fell limp. After Sheely was dead, Madison moved her body several times before dumping it in a patch of bushes about 120 feet away from his apartment.
0: Oh, so he just killed her? Yeah. Because he didn't like what she said?
1: Yes. He's a very angry person and very... reactive. Yeah. Yeah. That's how he, he's very impulsive. On June 7th, 2013, Angela Deskins, 38, went missing. Per her social media, she was self-employed in customer service and she attended Cuyahoga Community College. Her family also reported her missing with the police. Angela's father also told the court that he lost contact with her around May of 2013. And at trial, a friend of Deskins testified that around the same time, he dropped Angela Deskins off at an abandoned barbecue spot in East Cleveland where Madison was waiting for her. Oh no, why was he waiting for her? Apparently, they had known each other and were or were acquainted. Okay. On July 10th, 2013, Sherelda Terry, 18, went missing. She was left seen leaving a Cleveland elementary school where she worked during summer. Her father, Van Terry, plastered the town with missing persons posters, but unfortunately no one had seen her. She had met Madison a week earlier and exchanged phone numbers with him. Over the following days, they texted back and forth. Madison told Terry that he was 25 years old and had no kids, when in fact he was actually 35 and had two kids.
0: <laughs> it was a little off.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, lies. <laughs> Forgot about those kids. Exactly. Madison also lied about what he did for a living. The two discussed where they might, quote, hang out. Madison suggested Terry come to his place, but Terry replied, we can hang out, but I'm not going to your house. I don't trust you like that yet. On the afternoon of July 10th, she texted Madison, do you want to hang out now? Madison asked if she was headed to his street, and she replied that she was on 152nd and St. Clair, and that was Terry's last message.
0: So where was that? That's where she lived. He was coming to her house. She was going to meet him at his place. Or I, We don't know. Really. We don't, we don't know. Okay. Cause, yeah. I, Cause at first it sounds like she was like, I'm not going to see you yet. I don't know you like that. Yeah. But it sounds like maybe they were going to meet up somewhere. They were. Yes. Okay.
1: After that, that was the last time they heard from her. Oh shoot.
0: Okay. Yes.
1: Those were the accounts of the missing people and the encounters that they had with him. At this point, we do know that Shatisha is dead. Is murdered. Yes. Okay.
0: But do we know about the other girls
1: yet? Not yet, but we do kind of assume what They're probably is about to happen. They're probably murdered, right. Back at Michael's house, Brittany had been living there for about 10 months. And Brittany is his girlfriend. His girlfriend, okay. Mm-hmm. She had no idea that the bodies of these three missing women were being kept there. In July, she asked Michael about the foul in the house, but he told her that two raccoons died in the hallway
0: closet. It's very specific. (laughs) How did two raccoons get into the closet? Specifically two. Two raccoons. Yes. Got into the closet just randomly? Like, how do raccoons just get into your closet? You know, I think
1: we're still wondering that to this day. And she believed that. She did. Okay. She attempted to open the closet door, but he stopped her saying you don't want to see that. It's gruesome. Yeah. Little does she know. Right. In the closet was actually Sherelda's body, and he moved her after that close call. During her stay, she'd account for multiple occasions when Madison would come home with scratches or marks on his body, and he'd brush
0: it off saying that that he was stopping a fight between people because he's just Batman on the streets, protecting the public. Yeah. Apparently <laughs> just
1: stopping fights and she <laughs> believed it. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he, there was, was some oversight. Yeah. In July 19th, 2013, Michael's neighbors called 911 to report a foul odor coming from the garage nearby. When police arrived, they opened the garage door and found a naked female body in the fetal position wrapped inside several layers of garbage bags. Oh, gosh. I don't know what you would do. Was that
0: the woman that he had put in the closet?
1: It was a different one. Okay. The garage was rented out in Michael Madison's name and they obtained a search warrant for his apartment. There they found evidence of decomposition. So they found, you know, traces of blood or clothing Mm. from the victims. Okay. The police tracked him to his mom's house And they had a two-hour standoff where he was taken into custody and he was held on a $6 million bond. Authorities informed the community in that area and asked for their help. Over a hundred people volunteered in the search. The area around his garage was searched and two more bodies were found. So how many? So three bodies. They found three bodies. Wow. Okay. One was in a nearby field and the other in the basement of an abandoned house. Those bodies were also bound and wrapped in several layers of garbage bags. It was determined that two of the bodies were strangled to death. However, the medical examiner stated that the third body was too decomposed to determine a cause of death. During his interrogation, Michael mentions the name Anthony Sowell, who is known as the Cleveland Strangler who raped and killed at least 11 women in the Cleveland area in 2007 and 2009.
0: So he's trying to pawn off this crime on the Cleveland Strangler?
1: I guess, I don't know, somehow his name was brought up because the crimes were so similar. Oh, okay. I don't know in what context he brought it up, but yeah. Just some background on um, Anthony Sowell. Don't know how to say this name so
0: well Anthony, so, so well so well, you say it so well, thank you.
1: <laughs> he eventually uh was caught because a woman he assaulted, Latondra Bullops, survived and called the police. The police eventually obtained a search warrant. However, when they go to execute the warrant, he's not at home but was arrested two days later. When they searched the house, the bodies of 11 women were found buried in his basement, in the attic crawl spaces, and in his backyard. It
0: does so. His, this sounds a lot like that, doesn't it?
1: It is speculated that Madison admired so well and is a copycat killer. Yeah. So. I think so. It looks like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. His crimes are, they're very similar. Michael talked to investigators for roughly 12 hours, mostly about his mother and his childhood. Yeah. it's like it's mainly about him like what happened to him he doesn't really go back to like why he would do what he's doing and to these what happened to his victims on july 21st 2013 he signed a four page confession He admitted that he had choked a woman to death in October of 2012 and then left her in his apartment while he went out drinking. We don't know if this is one of the victims. We don't think it's actually one of the victims that have been identified. When he returned, he folded her up and put her in multiple layers of trash bags and moved her to the garage. He left the body there for months and then moved it outside behind the garage. He did not know this victim's name. He remembered moving Sherelda from the closet because the smell had gotten too bad But he didn't remember killing her because he was too high and drunk. His trial began on April 4th, 2016, and he was charged with two counts each for aggravated murder for each victim, three counts of kidnapping, three counts of gross abuse to a corpse, one count of rape, and one count of weapon possession by ex-convict. The defense did attempt to use his violent childhood as a sort of catalyst, but it did not work to their advantage the jury didn't take long to find him guilty on all 14 charges. May 20th of 2016, the jury recommended the death penalty. During the sentencing, Sherelda's father, Van Terry, was giving his impact statement, quote, right now, I guess in our hearts, we're supposed to forgive this clown. He touched our families, taken my child, quote. And he trails off in this statement, and then he turns to look at his child's murderer, Michael was smiling and showing no remorse. And in fact, in later interviews, he states that he found it hilarious.
0: Hilarious that the dad was, was sad. Yeah. So he he has no empathy. doesn't care at all. No, he, he thought he was
1: like, I, I only laugh at things that are really funny. So I thought it was hilarious. Wow. So undoubtedly, you know, this sets off her father, And he lunges at Michael. The deputies responded quickly and were able to keep them separated. But Van Terry was led out of the courtroom and he was not charged with any offense.
0: Good, Yeah. Don't charge the dad with anything. No. No. I mean, seriously,
1: I I feel like he was Uh. being antagonized and he's already grieving. It was such an awful... And he was
0: smiling at the dad when he was saying all this.
1: Yeah. And even when, if you watch the video, you know, he's lunging at him and you can still see Michael Madison and he is he's laughing. He's smiling. He's laughing about it. Yeah. He finds it funny that, you know, he's got this reaction out of him. That's sick. It's really sick. So the video is online and it's hard to watch. And, you know, there's no way we can understand what these families are going through to be able to be in the same room as the person who murdered your family member or your loved one. I mean, I don't know if I would like have that same restraint. Gosh, I don't know how people do it. It takes a lot of strength. His defense attorneys never argued that Madison was innocent. They claimed that he had killed the women without premeditation and should be spared the death penalty. Quote, their deaths were not the result of any planning by Madison. They were the result of spontaneous eruptions of violence that were so characteristic of his behavior at that time. Quote, his attorney, David Grant, said in court. So he was just trying to spare him the death penalty. Yes. June second, twenty sixteen, Michael Madison is sentenced to death. He filed an appeal and the Ohio Supreme Court unanimously voted to uphold the death sentence on July twenty first, twenty twenty. A date for his execution has not been set and he remains on death row at the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility in Lucasville. You know, I don't know if everyone knows this, but the reason it takes so long to get an execution date is because of the shortage of the drug used for lethal injection. You know, the pharmaceutical industry is just reluctant to... To produce it. Exactly. Also, because there is still opportunity to exhaust appeal processes, post-conviction proceedings, and hearings to possibly, you know, get convictions overturned because obviously.
0: There are innocent people on death row. Exactly. As we've read about, so.
1: Yes, yes. So, you know, it's important to know, like, not everyone on death row is guilty and actually committed those crimes. That's right.
0: What's that book we read? It's about the attorney who actually got a um, death row inmates off of death row. Yes. um, I forget what the book is called, I know we saw the movie too. Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. Yes. Great book.
1: It really is. You want, and even the movie was good.
0: Oh yeah. But if you don't believe that there are innocent people on death row, read that book.
1: I think the, st- the statistic was like one out of 10 people are innocent on death row. That's terrible. Don't quote me on that. But, you know, (laughs) when I was looking it up, it's a significant amount of people that are innocent. Throughout the appeal process, the court did determine that there was insufficient evidence to support the kidnapping charges for Sheely and Deskins. Um, That's why I say, like, they were acquainted. And so, not technically a kidnapping
0: because they went there willingly.
1: Right. Okay. The court conducted their own investigation to see if the death penalty was warranted and it was determined that the aggravating circumstances outweighed the mitigating factors and found the death sentence to be proportionate. On June 22nd, 2019, Michael's mom, Diane, 62, was stabbed to death by an intruder, Jaylid Plummer, 18, who is also her grandson. What? Yes. He entered the home, stabbed Diane and three of the children while they were sleeping. Oh, my gosh. Two of the children escaped and ran to the neighbor's house to call for help. The third child was found hiding in the home. All three were taken to the hospital and survived their wounds. Diane was found dead at the scene.
0: And this is his grandmother mother? This This is is his mom. This is his mom.
1: One of her neighbors, Timothy Gillaspie, was interviewed and shocked, stating, she was a very quiet, peaceful lady who kept to herself. Plummer pled guilty and was sentenced to life with his first chance of parole after 30 years behind bars. His defense attorney attempted to argue that before the attack, Plummer had smoked PCP-laced marijuana. However, the prosecutors found that there was no evidence of that, and he was also found to be competent to stand trial.
0: Wow, so a lot of things going wrong in this family, huh? Yeah, so this was after...
1: You know, he was, like, Michael Madison is on death row, and so this happens during that
0: time. Okay.
1: Phil Chambers, who is a YouTube creator who interviews serial killers, conducted a phone interview with Michael Madison this year while he's on death row. Michael states that his childhood was complicated at best, and there was nothing great about it. It was all bad. He felt as though his mother was a bully and constantly tore him down. He goes into the possibility that maybe he would have had a better chance at making it if he was taken in by another family in the foster care system. He openly states that he was never looking for a father figure and was never bothered by his father's absence. No, he was just bothered by his mom's abuse. (laughs) Right. He expresses no remorse for any of his crimes, but doesn't go in detail because he has Another appeal in the works. Okay. Chambers does ask the question, Would you ever be interested in discussing unsolved cases someday? And Michael response Michael's response is no. Anything that they didn't get me for will die with me. Oh, so additional murders? Yeah. The authorities they do believe that there are other victims out there. But he's not gonna say anything,
0: obviously, if he's up for another appeal. Exactly. No, he's not.
1: When questioned about how he feels about what happened to his mother, he says he has mixed feelings about it, but it is what it is. So he really... No love loss there.
0: No, he has no empathy at all, you know? And I can see not having empathy for a mother who abused you and let a bunch of bad things happen to you, but doesn't seem to care about the victims at all or their families. Nope he does not. When asked if he was inspired
1: by Anthony Sowell, he states that nothing from our lifetime is original. He denies being inspired by him or anybody at all. Madison had spoken to Sowell from time to time before he passed away and states
0: that he was all right and he was a funny guy. So, what, did they write in jail to each other? They were on death row together. They were on death row together. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. So, he was on
1: death row with his idol? Well, I mean, he doesn't say he was his idol. He actually denies it. He says that he's not inspired by anybody.
0: Hmm. So, So, but he's
1: like, oh, you know, that guy
0: was funny. He was cool. I like, you know, it was all right. He might have been inspired by him. Those crimes seem... Very similar. I do agree with that. He just wants he to just... seem like an original. But then he does say what there's nothing from our lifetime that is original. He
1: does say that. Um and I you know, to a degree that's true, but I do think he also has a lot of pride.
0: Yes. Yeah. So and he does.
1: There's not gonna be any way he's going to he's not admit, gonna admit that. to be a copycat? No. Of course not. The interview concluded with the question, what would you say to someone who wanted to follow in your footsteps? What? His <laughs> First of all,
0: why would he ask him that question?
1: Well, I mean, it's an interesting question to ask someone, you know, what if someone did idolize him? Like what advice would he give that person?
0: (laughs) To do a better job or to not to like take a different path? Was he trying to help people? His
1: response was, you have to do what makes you happy. What made me happy was taken from me. And I guess I was chasing a ghost. You can't put a price on happiness.
0: What does that mean? Is he saying murder was taken from him? Or what happiness? When he was a kid, happiness was taken from him, so he was chasing happiness by murdering people. I think that was I think that's his outlet, his emotional outlet, and just do what makes you happy. So if people enjoy murdering, he's saying they should just go and do it. That's terrible advice. I think what
1: I think he means is that when he was a child, he didn't have a chance to be happy, and so throughout his life, he wasn't happy, and because of that, he took out his anger on women and doesn't make it okay, no. but I think that it definitely adds to why he did it, all that anger inside of him. And he didn't obviously didn't know how to deal with it or manage it and doesn't care. It's, it's, it's very complex, but I can't say that he would have turned out any differently if he wasn't in that circumstance. I really don't know. And
0: there's people in the same situation as him who are abused as children who don't grow up and murder people. So that's not an excuse. And it sounds like he kind of tried to make it his excuse for why he turned out the way he did.
1: Yeah. He brings it up a lot. Like, it does seem like that's his go-to reason as to why he does what he does. And throughout the interview, he is without empathy and sounds quite cold. Uh, You can watch the interview online and make your own determination like on what you think there is no doubt that his childhood sculpted who he was however there's no guarantee that if he was saved from the situation like we said before that he would have turned out any differently and you know if we refer back to the israel keys episode his childhood was quite normal right it was right and he was out there like shooting
0: cats and yeah he was being terrible well his childhood wasn't super normal though Because they lived in all these strange places with like intense. They were kind of survivalist. Oh, but But, it wasn't like he was abused. Right, no. It doesn't sound like he was abused or anything like that. And yeah, he was. That was definitely nature. He just, he was born bad seed.
1: Yeah. So that's why it's so hard to say like how
0: Michael would have turned out.
1: Yeah. We just are not sure. Yeah. It's too bad so let's talk about the victims and you know unfortunately it's so hard to find any information on the victims which is sad because these are the people who should be remembered there's not a lot of information out there about them but what I did find we'll talk about so Angela Deskins was the first victim to be identified she was known to be a quiet goofy beautiful and loving individual Katana Deskins says I feel so bad for anyone who hasn't had a sister like Angela she was loved by so many people in the community and she had so many friends. We will always love her and always miss her. Katana prefers to remember Angela's influence on her growing up. When I was three and four, She was going to a private Catholic school, and when she would get home from school, she would dress up as a nun, and we had a little school desk in our attic, and we would play school because it was really important to her that I have a good start in my education. So she taught me numbers and letters. Between her and my brother, by winter break in kindergarten, I was reading little books. So it was really important to them that I have a good start in my life.
0: And this was Angela?
1: Yes. It sounds like she was just a really sweet person and really wanted to help, you know, better her family, better people in her life. And Shatisha Sheely, a mother, daughter, and sister, was the second victim to be identified. Kim Sheely states, that was her mom, that she was an outgoing person. She was really a loner. She was goofy. It was always about her and her little dog. Aw, she had
0: a fur baby.
1: Yes. Her mom asked for prayers after losing her son and daughter only seven months apart.
0: Wow. Oh my gosh. She lost both of them?
1: Yeah. That's heartbreaking. And, you know, they do have interviews with her. And she's just heartbroken and so sad. I think she has another daughter that's helping her during this time. But still, like, that's just... Yeah, she lost two children. That's terrible. And in such a violent way. Right. So it's got to be just... Traumatic. Tanya Williams, a minister with Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, states that Lee was a lighthearted person. She'd add that she'd call her mom and say something funny from a movie and just hang up. <laughs> so that's silly. Just a fun person, yeah. Sherelda Terry was the third victim to be identified. She loved to read, praise, dance, worship God, and she was dedicated to Bible study. She was extremely close to her family. And was far more mature than her years. Quote, she was a good girl. She was a hugger. Quote. Rosetta Terry, her grandmother said, quote, We used to tease her that we were going to put her on a hug diet. <laughs> I know. It's really sweet.
0: People like they that they who all are just so so like,
1: happy and pretty. Yes. Just like good souls. Good people, yeah. And Gone too soon. Um, Charlotte's family intends to set up a scholarship in her name, and sadly, her father, Van Terry, the father who lunged at
0: Michael, Michael Madison, Madison mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: um, he passed away on February 18th, 2019, Aww. just at 62. You know, in my eyes, I think he's a hero for even like attempting, yeah, right? Like, that takes a lot of courage and to be in that
0: situation, to even face person who murdered your family member.
1: Yeah. Authorities believe that there are more of Madison's victims out there, whether it be a victim of assault or murder. We do hope that they're able to find who those people are. And if you think you know something, please report it to the proper channels. Cause as we heard previously, he's not going to be talking about those cases. He's, He's keeping them close to the chest.
0: Because so. he wants to see how the appeal turns out first. I don't probably. think he has any
1: interest in, in sharing anything. Nope, anything that they could possibly get him get him again for. He's not going to share it, you know.
0: Mm. And
1: you know, does he even remember? It seems like he's usually drunk or high when this stuff is happening. He can barely remember, oh, right.
0: like So he might not even remember a lot of details about his victims to tell. Yep terrible.
1: This case, it's not as known and there's such limited information yeah on these cases because and I don't know if it's because it's a case about minorities, you know, and so mm-hmm. those don't usually get the exposure. Attention. Yeah. yeah we do think it's important that like everyone gets that kind of exposure. Like we're on the same
0: page when we, we say we want yeah. to get those stories out there. We do. Cause we actually have another one coming after this. We do. Yeah. We do. That was
1: a, another heavy one. Like I said, these stories are never easy to tell, but it's important that they're told because these are real people and real victims. We hope that the families are able to find peace somehow. And like you said, we do have a, another, um, not well-known case coming up. Yes, we do. So uh, if you guys have heard of Jack the Ripper, a majority of people have heard of Jack the Ripper, I right? I think it's very well-known. Right. So, so we're not doing that one. No, but have you ever heard of the Atlanta Ripper? And most people probably are going to say no. I live in Georgia and I didn't even know like mm-hmm. about the Atlanta Ripper. Yeah. So you would think that's something that would be out there, but it's not. It's not. And we're going to talk about that. They're definitely going to give it the exposure it needs. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because I think these happened back in like the eighties or was it? No. When-
0: um, I want to say late fifties, early sixties. I've got two books to read on it. And I'm gonna get all the details, but I think it was in the late 50s, early 60s, but I'll know for sure next time.
1: Yeah, Summer is doing a deep dive again,
0: and we we love her (laughs) deep dives. (laughs) We'll see. Hopefully, I can do a good job on this one. It's a big one. Yes, it's a big one, but like we said, we're we're bringing it. Yeah. Bringing the stuff that you probably have not heard of. That's what we're trying to do, serving up the obscure content. Give us your feedback or thoughts at noir at gmail.com. Follow us on our socials at Freshly brewed Noir on Facebook and Instagram. Once again, thank you for the support and we thank you for listening. Until next time, stay caffeinated. Bye.